Well, I started out in painting and fine arts, and then I did one summer internship at a, an art studio, which I really think that one of the great purposes of doing an internship is not to hopefully get a job in that company or impress everyone at the company. I think a lot of it is to know, is this something I want to do or not? And after my internship, I was like, I don't think I want to be in the art world. I thought it would be a harder way to make a living, which I think is hilarious. And I chose fashion. And that's when I pivoted and joined the fashion department at the Art Institute. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to a Fashion Moment podcast. Whether you're a fashion lover or just fashion curious, welcome. I literally love bringing you one-on-one interviews week after week with your fashion favorites. I get inspired every time, and I hope you do too. This podcast is not sponsored, and all of us here are freely giving our time because we all believe in this, and we love it. I would love to continue this great work and bring you even more content, exclusive features, and live events in the years ahead. If you love the podcast or just want to support, buy me a coffee. Yes, a coffee. You can visit buymeacoffee.com slash a fashion moment to become a fashion friend for one coffee a month, $5, or click the support tab to grab any amount you'd like. Again, that's buymeacoffee.com slash a fashion moment. Thank you for supporting us. Now on to the show. Cynthia Rowley is one of my favorite American designers. Her designs are the epitome of easy to wear downtown chic and have grown over time into a global lifestyle brand built on the philosophy that fashion should be an adventure. Gotta love that. She also does some pretty awesome swimwear, surf, and winter collections with a brand that I was obsessed with growing up, Roxy Quicksilver. Gotta love California. But what I love the most about Cynthia Rowley spans beyond her beautiful creations. Making the leap from Chicago to New York wasn't an easy one. And building a global brand from scratch had its challenges. I'm inspired by her resilience and grit to pursue her passion, her relentless pursuit to build her brand, and her refusal to give up. Cynthia's success story is a testimony for the ages. And if she can make it in this industry, you can too. Oh my goodness, Cynthia. Thank you so much for being on the show. I know you are busy. You got things to do. You're a legend. So it's truly an honor to have you here. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I just can't believe you're here. It's like I'm pitching myself, but this is so (laughs) wonderful. I have so many questions to ask you and I just hope I can get them all in like, at, like Let's do in it. Our, our little period of time. So really quickly, what was life like growing up in Illinois? And I had no idea you were from Illinois. Are you from Illinois? No, no. I'm from California, oh, okay. but I, I, I thought you were like a New Yorker. I was like, oh, you know, she's like very, well, I am like, now. <laughs> I'm definitely a New Yorker now. I mean, um, 
but I guess like they say, you can take the girl out of the Midwest, but you can't take the Midwest out of the girl. Yeah. So I had a pretty happy, but a little boring childhood. You know, my mom is very artistic and creative and has like a great imagination. So, you know, we were always encouraged to kind of make our own fun, but you know, there wasn't a lot to do. So, which, you know, oftentimes got me in trouble and, you know, arrested even in high school, maybe oh once. Oh but- <laughs> Rebel, like, did you have like the black leather jacket too? Like, no, I mean, it was pretty, my town is pretty, um, I guess, like classic Midwest, you know, a little bit preppy and a little bit, um, you know, wholesome, I guess. So, but I grew up, you know, my mom being super creative like that, I grew up always making things and I started sewing really young and just thought it was a way to, to make clothes. I mean, it was a real middle class or upper, maybe upper middle class, um, upbringing. So there wasn't always a lot to, you know, I didn't go out and buy new clothes. You know, we made, I made them. And I think that really informed a lot of my personal expression at the time. So did you make most of your clothes? Like as soon as you found like your little nick for sewing, were you just like, oh my God, like I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah. I mean, I made stuff not because I thought it was fashion. I didn't really know anything about fashion at all. I just made things because I knew I couldn't really fit in with, you know, a lot of the kids that had like fancier clothes. So I thought it was better to just be, you know, an individual and be myself and not really try to compete with um, people that were able to buy things, you know, that were trendy at the time. Absolutely. Well, you know, I have to ask, I mean, you're just like an artist overall. I mean, you're, you're creating clothes, but you were also a painter and I assume like, do you still paint like in your spare time? Like where did that talent sort of come from? Well, that's, that's the key right there. Spare time. I don't really have any of that. <laughs> You're like, what time? No. <laughs> so, I mean, now that my kids are pretty, you know, that they're self-sufficient and my youngest is 16, like I yes. do have more time. So I've been, <laughs> I've been dabbling a little bit lately. Yes. So like, were you like an acrylic girl or were you like like what kinds of mediums were you using back in the day um every you know kind of everything I did do a book um like a long time ago not you know years ago but um where the editor-in-chief of Rizzoli asked me oh we want to do a monograph of your work and I was like no I don't want to do that because that sort of (laughs) implies that maybe my career is over. Right. And so I was like, I'm not ready for that. And so then he was like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, how about a book of drawings and 
childhood stories. And that. so that's what I did. I did a bunch of drawings and um it's called Slim. Yes. And night was that uh that was 2007, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So Love that. It was a while ago, but um I drew a lot for that. And so now I'm kind of getting back into that. That's so exciting. Well, you know, you were, you know, sewing, you were, you know, doing your artwork and you decide that you want to go to the Art Institute of Chicago. Um, so what specifically were you studying there and what were sort of your aspirations at the time? Well, I started out in painting and fine arts and then I did one summer internship at a an art studio, which I really think that, you know, one of the great purposes of doing an internship is not to hopefully get a job in that company or impress everyone at the company. I think a lot of it is to know, is this something I want to do or not? And after my internship, I was like, I don't think I want to be in the art world. I just like, it was, you know, on many levels, I felt like I thought it would be a harder way to make a living, which I think is hilarious mm. now that, you know, <laughs> that, then I chose fashion, but, um, but yeah. I, and that's when I sort of, that's when I pivoted and joined the fashion department at the art Institute. And that was, it was in a lot of ways, not as easy as I thought because I wasn't like a real fashion girl at all. I was really more of like the, art artsy kind of you know do whatever is in your imagination kind of person and not really thinking about what people would really want to wear wow so i think that's been the hardest thing in my career in my that was the hardest thing in my early early career was being like how do i sort of reconcile this wild imagination and some form of commercial, uh, you know, a commercial business. And I had no sense of that at all. And the Art Institute is very free thinking and they don't, there's no indi fashion industry in Chicago. So there wasn't like a real barometer of like, you know, that balance of art and commerce. So I was doing crazy shit when I was... <laughs> I love it. First starting. I love it. Yeah. Do you have an example of one of the, like the crazy items you designed at that time? Oh yeah. <laughs> I I I made I I was making these like swimsuits with wings on them and stuff and um giant silver puffer coats which yes. now I wish I had. I oh know. my god, I would love that. But at the time it was pretty radical <laughs> and um you were ahead of your time. You know, I don't know. Just, I mean, now definitely, I think there, there's more of an acceptance of, you know, real radical artistic expression and fashion. But back then it was more like career separates or something. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my God. So they were really like blown away by your work. Which is great. Well, I didn't get into my junior fashion show because I said my thing was too crazy. What? Yeah. It's wow. okay. 
What doesn't kill you you makes you stronger. (laughs) I love it so much. Well, like what led you to like New York? Like, did you get a job after school? Like what, what happened? No, I, I've never had a real job. I mean, the only real job I've ever had was a bartender in Chicago. And that's how I put myself through school. And then when I started my business, I was still bartending four nights a week and like no sleep and sewing from, you know, dawn till I couldn't stay awake anymore. And, um, and then I guess at some point I started to kind of do little shows and stuff in Chicago and someone said, oh, you know, you should really, if you want to be in fashion, you really have to move to New York. So I <laughs> packed a U-Haul and drove to New York oh my and God. with sewing machines and everything. And I started making stuff here in New York and just like ba- tiny baby steps, you know, little by little, it's, you know, people started to notice and I started to sell to a lot of stores and, um, you know, I was really living hand to mouth and living on popcorn and, you know, it was rough. And it everyone's rough. like, Oh my God, you look so chic. And you're like, yeah, I'm on the verge of starving, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's I had amazing. Zero <laughs> money, no money at all. I was, I, any money I had, I used to buy fabric. Cause I was like, then I can, sew it myself and sell it for more and just like little by little you know I started to kind of like make ends meet and oh my and goodness. it started to work but it was a long time it was like 10 years of wow struggle wow. yeah it's that a really amazing. hard business but I will say it's much easier now way, way, way easier now than it was then there, you know, back then there were so many filters, you had to have editors that liked it. And then they had to, you know, publish something. And then, you know, you had a store buyer had to like it, and then they had to put it in their store and then people had to come in and find it and buy (laughs) it. You know, it was just like a really sort of tedious and attenuated business then and now it's so much easier you just make it and put it out there you know on social media or on your own site and you can start selling so I mean now it's really fun but back then you know I don't have the fondest memories of trying to convince people that what I was doing was cool you know Wow. 10 years. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, were you staying with friends? Like, what was your first apartment like? Like, what neighborhood were you in? Well, I got an apartment on Varick Street in New York because I thought it was 7th Avenue. And so I thought it was, no, really. Like, when I say naivete can be a form of power, it was... It was definitely my only power at the time. I didn't know what (laughs) I was supposed to be afraid of. So I just tried anything. And um, it was a it was a nice apartment. Um, But, you know, I never left. I was like living, working, like everything was there. I was my only employee. And um, 
yeah, it was, it was, it was not easy. That's wild. So like when, like, so this 10 year period goes by, like, what was your breakthrough moment where your business really started to shift upward? I mean, it definitely wasn't like, you know, an overnight 10 year overnight success story. It was like, you know, I remember I had this plan that I would do what's known as private label. So then I would go to a big retailer and say, you know, I know you want this with your label on it. I'll design it. I'll make it, you know, in big quantities. And then I'll just make the money so that I can do my more artistic stuff. And I started doing that, but you know, like every big order was also a huge risk and a huge liability. And so it kind of gave me a little bit of a jump start. but then there were a couple things that, you know, retailers can be really fickle and they can say whatever yes. they want to say if, you know, they run out of money or they change their mind. So there were a couple of those that were really scary and, you know, I kind of got through it, but it was too risky to keep doing. And like the orders were getting bigger and it was just too risky. And I didn't really, I didn't have the money to invest in such a high risk um, situation. So I ended up pulling back on that, but I had learned so much about manufacturing then that I was able to start making my own stuff, you know, at better prices and I had more relationships and like, that's when it started to just like click a tiny bit, but it was again, (laughs) like still hand to mouth. And I remember the year I won the CFDA award was also a few months before that. My accountant told me maybe I should consider filing for bankruptcy. <laughs> and I was no! like, what? You know, <laughs> but you know what? Those, oh my goodness. those, that's when I was like, okay, I got to figure this shit out and like yeah. do this. And I really, you know, buckled down and tried to learn everything I could. And again, like, you know, by the skin of my teeth, turned it around. And by then, after winning the CFDA award and, you know, having more and more notoriety and more visibility, I was able to start, like, I had sort of created a brand, you know, just by virtue of throwing up spaghetti against the wall and some of it's got to stick. And so... I then had my first, my first license deal ever. Wow. So that's when I could design something and then, you know, get paid just for the design, get paid a royalty. Yeah. So that helped. It was, it was just sort of like this continuous uh, process of, curiosity 
forced curiosity in order to stay <laughs> do being able to do what I was doing. And I was, I love it so much and I've always loved it. And I just wouldn't take no for an answer, you know? And so if somebody said, you can't do this, then I would try even harder and I would do it, you know? Yeah. And yes. And so that, you know, took on another, you know, several years of that until, you know, eventually, I guess I got so thick skinned that, you know, I was able to kind of make it, make it work. But then, you know, and then cut to March, 2020, when I was like, okay, well, that was a nice career you had, Cynthia, be happy for everything. (laughs) You know, you won a bunch of awards and, you know, met amazing people through your work and traveled the world and all that. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm done. And that was like on Mm -hmm. Friday. And by Monday, I was like, get your shit together, Cynthia. And like, yeah. And I pivoted again and doubled down on my e-com business, my direct-to-consumer business, and started spending everything I could on marketing and shortened my lead times on my with my supply chain. I lessened the quantities of things we were creating and then replenished when it was good. So things never went on sale and um, they would sell out quickly. We would replenish. Mm -hmm. It's much more sustainable practice. And, um, and, and we deliver once or twice a week versus seasonal, which I never understood that idea who shops like that you know and so in the last year and a half I doubled my business and it's like really really fun and we're doing super creative things and it's just really fun so I think the lesson there is you know never rest on your laurels and just be completely eyes wide open uh, curious and nimble and daring and just, you know, listen to what's happening and listen to your audience and, and do what they want. Don't do what you want, you know, or some, some combination of the two. I love it. Um, so this feather dress situation, the t-shirt feather dress, is that like, what, what percentage is you and what percentage is like the customer or is it all you? Because I'm obsessed. I mean, thank you. I mean, (laughs) it's all me, but like what I, when I'm saying, listen to the customer and my team, I've worked with the same when, when in March, 2020, I got, I, I had to pare down the staff to like the most crucial creative people. And, you know, some, some I've worked with 20 years or more and I pared down and I said, instead of business people trying to understand a creative industry, I'm going to have the creative team, including myself, run the business. And 
everything is run because of product, you know, it's all about the product and innovating and, and making things that are joyous and colorful and happy and make people feel good and the fit and the, you know, versatility and all those things became really, really, really important. And I stopped listening to what the industry was predicting or what the industry um, trends or, you know, the collective uh, uh, expression of like the, the trend forecast. Yeah, all of that. <laughs> all I was that. like, no, fuck <laughs> that. I'm not doing that. I'm going to do yeah. what I want, which is so on trend because we, we had our September show and I had this whole vibe of Y2K and I'm like, I don't know why yes. I'm feeling it, but like dresses over pants, butterflies, yes. like literally <laughs> every single thing that now the industry is saying is a trend. <laughs> but that was just like my gut, you know, and I always follow my gut and, um, you know, it's, it is on trend. So I think it's just being aware of like what people are thinking and, and trying to fill that need and trying to, you know, while still staying true to myself. Absolutely. So who is your girl? Like, what is she doing? Like, what is her lifestyle? Like when you think of your customer, who is she? I know she's on a surfboard at some point. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Yeah, definitely that we make, we make those (laughs) sick wetsuits, but I think, um, it's hard. There's definitely people always ask what's the age range. I'm like, that's why Ah, my daughter and I have a podcast called ageless because there is no age. (laughs) Age is so stupid. It just makes me mad. So it's not anything to do with that. It's not anything to do with, you know, what you do for a living or what it's how you see the world. It's a, it's a combination Mm. of pretty and sporty. And I really think those two worlds do and can and should meet where like, um, even though you're in a pretty dress, you can go like, you know, climb up the rocks and, you know, have a good time. Or, you know, if you're, if you're a sport doing a sport, you should look really sexy and amazing and pretty. So it's like that combination and where those two meet is like, that's where I get super inspired because they're two completely different parts of, you know, people's lives usually. And I, I think it's so funny that like people think like, well, I'm going to go for a hike now and I have to wear my fleece vest and my, you know what I mean? Or like, (laughs) I don't know. It just doesn't like, you just think you have to dress the part, but no, you should just be yourself. And that's why we did all the snow stuff this just recently launched. Uh, yes, with Roxy. Oh my god, I'm like obsessed with Roxy Quicksilver. It's like a Cali- like you know, being a California girl. 
it was the only thing we wanted to wear in high school. So when I saw that you were partnering, I was like, what? I know. Like, this is crazy. (laughs) Well, they, I did my, so in 2012, I was surfing in Montauk and a guy paddled up to me in the lineup and he said, oh, I I recognize you. You're that, you're that designer and you surf. He's like, "I, I run Roxy. And you should design stuff for us since you love the sport. And I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. Because I couldn't find anything, you know, to wear. Like, I, it was the same thing as a fleece vest, you know? Yeah. I was like, there's nothing here. And so I, but because it's, you know, a functional garment, you really have to understand, like, the technical side, the performance side of that that piece of it. And I thought, well, this will be a great way for me to learn about it. And so for three years, I designed a collection with them and it just was like, kind of like broke all the molds of what people think about, um, women and surf. And I started thinking about women who surf as superheroes and they should look like superheroes. And I love that. And so that's how I really (laughs) learned. And then after three years, um, the CEO of Quicksilver said, you know, you're doing things that we could never, we can't do at Roxy. You know, it's just too complicated. And, you know, and so he gave me, he was like, here, I'm going to give you everything. And he fully set me up to have a whole surf business and that's what I've done since then and then uh like two years ago I think it was two years ago maybe it was three years ago I went to testify to congress about the china tariffs because that's where the wetsuits are made Mm. in Taiwan Mm -hmm. and China and you know they had raised the tariffs and it was getting like impossible to make a wetsuit that most surfer wow. girls can afford, you know. And the guy that was testifying before me was the new CEO of Quicksilver. And he's, I sort of bum rushed him as he was coming off. And I said, <laughs> I want to do another collab with you. And so that was how this recent collab was born, where it's Northern Southern Hemisphere, wow. snow and surf. And um, we we got to shoot with Chloe Kim, the gold medalist. And yes, I, I was know. Like, Whoa, I love her so oh, much. My oh god. my god, such a I fan! I can't <laughs> even tell you what an amazing person she is. She is an amazing person. And Kaylee Moniz, who's the women's longboard champion, we shot the surf on her. She's amazing, beautiful, beautiful person. So I, it was really fun, and I, I feel really lucky to be able to do that. Uh, I love it so much. When I saw that, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This is so cool. So I have to ask, you know, your mom, your mother, you're also a wife. You have a whole family. <laughs> By the way, your family is super chic. Uh, everyone, uh, everyone, it, like from Cynthia, everyone, the kids, the husband, everyone is just like, I'm like, you guys are like too cool. I love it so much. Thank you. So you like, first of all, I, 
I, I had no idea. I was just like blown away that you gave birth or, or your water broke in the studio museum of Harlem. Yeah. I, I was like, how chic is that? That is so <laughs> chic. Like, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I was like, number one, what was she wearing? Like, what should, what should the ladies, you know, who are currently, you know, with child, like what, what should be, we be wearing? And then also like, what happened? Like, how chic is that? Were you looking at like the, you know, the works and you were just like so moved and it's like, oh, here's the story. (laughs) I was at work because it was eight days before our runway show and I was at work. And I was so huge. And my team, <laughs> three people and me, they pulled me aside. It was at night. It was like six o'clock at night. I was working oh full long, late nights. But this one night, I wanted to go see this guy's show, Lamar Peterson at the Studio Museum. And his opening was that night. And I was like, I really want to go to this show. I'm going to leave at six go see it because I really love his work and I love Thelma Golden. And um, they were like, okay, before you leave, listen, we figured out you have a three-day window to give birth because if we don't start fittings on Saturday, this is on Wednesday, if we don't start fittings on Saturday, we're not going to make the show. And I was like, okay, I got it three days. I can do it. I'm just going to keep, you know, put my mind to it. I left there. My water (laughs) broke. I went into labor. I went to the hospital and I gave birth the next morning on Thursday. And I started fittings on Saturday. (laughs) Stop it. Oh my God. Did they roll you in? Like what? Like, oh my goodness. They were like, I almost had to have a C-section and they were like, they were like rolling me in to have a C-section. Oh I'm like, God. I can't have a C-section. No. I have to be at work on Saturday. They were like, you're right? not going to be at work on Saturday. I was like, no, you don't understand. And anyway, yes. then everything settled down. I gave birth naturally and I felt really wow. great. You know, I felt really great. Yeah. And I... My daughter, because she was, um, I was a little bit dehydrated um, Mm. and I had a little bit of a fever. She had a little bit of a fever. So they kept her in the NICU um, after she was born for seven days. And that was exactly, she got out the day after my show. So I got to go visit her. But then also do what I had to do at work and not, I don't want to sound like an insane person though, because I would never, <laughs> never condone this. Never, ever, ever. Of course. And it was just like, you know, those were the days when if you didn't have a show or you, something went wrong in a show, your whole career could mm-hmm. be over, you know? And we had been working for six months to build this show wow. and, you know, the casting and the everything. So I was like, okay, I got to just get through this, you know, like just push yeah. through this. And, you know, my baby was okay. She was giant. And so 
you know, she was in the NICU with people with a, like a full giant head of hair. And people were like, yes. why is that baby in here? Like with all these little sweet little babies. <laughs> why is that giant I love it. I love monster it. <laughs> baby in here? <laughs> I love it so much. Oh my goodness. Well, I, you know, so many women, especially in this country have to do both. And, you know, and I've known people who are like, yeah, I was writing a story for like, you know, the New York times or the wall street journal, like in my hospital bed, like to meet deadlines. So, you know, it happens, it happens. So I'm curious, you know, you have the podcast with your daughter, but also like, you know, what have you learned from your your daughters just in general? Is there like a lesson that you've learned from them? I'm sure there's a million, but is there something that stands out for you? Oh my God. Like where they are right now at this age? (laughs) Do they help you? (laughs) They're so much more evolved than I was. You know, when I think about like, when I was that age, I don't know. I was like a, I was a kid. I was a real, really like a kid. And these guys are so evolved and like thoughtful and, you know, concerned about their mental health and super, super serious students and great students and like, just like so self-possessed, you know, and I was just like, I feel like I was just clueless. So, but, you know, they say like, they'll tell me because I've you know, had to strike a balance when I had two little kids, you know, like how to, how to make this all work and how do you have a fulfilling, happy career and be the best mom you can be, you know, and, and live for your kids like that. And so, you know, I had to sort of figure that out. And I asked them when they were old enough, I was like, do you feel like mommy, you know, works too much? Is this like, do you feel like I'm there for you? Which, you know, I'm like, leave work and go take, you know, cook and do all that stuff. But like, do you feel like, you know, it was ever, my work was too much and they're, they've, consistently Mm. said no that you know seeing the joy that it brings me is such a good role model for them to know that you know hard work can make you happy and and give you a great life and that you know somehow if, if you can strike a balance then that's that's the best thing. And, um, so they're both like really hard workers and, you know, help me so much. And I'm really, really, really lucky. Wow. I mean, I know you've written books in the past, but I, as a mother of two, a three and a five-year-old, I need a book from you on like how you're doing all of this. striking that balance. I mean, the girls could be a part of it too, because this is just like amazing to hear, especially for working moms out there. I mean, I don't know 
if anything I'm doing <laughs> is the right way to do it or I mean I'm just trying my best and um try to sort of compartmentalize things and work is work and home is home and I don't come home and go like tell stories about people at work or like stress about you know things at work like it's just not that and I mean I guess sort I guess the compartmentalizing of all that is important and just you know making sure to have lots of family time as as much as possible like we're lucky enough to be able to spend weekends together and we all share the same interests we're all you know we're all in the water in the summer together which is so fun and um I mean, they're way better surfers than me, which I <laughs> I love. Um, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, I know we're we're coming up on time. I have one last question for you, and something that we ask all of our guests here: What is one of your favorite fashion moments of all time? It could be something that you witnessed something professional, personal, or both, but just a moment, I'm sure you have a million, but like one of them where you just felt like, wow, this moment is quite magical. I mean, there's definitely a lot. A million. <laughs> Hopefully tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow I'm going to, I get to go to the Gucci House of Gucci premiere. I feel like Lady yes. Gaga is going to give oh us my God. a moment <gasps> at that for sure. Oh. But I guess right I now it. the thing that's on my mind, because I've been watching all the Diana stuff, when I won the yeah. CFDA award the first time the first time way back when, um, Princess Diana was giving an award to someone. So I was backstage I got to be backstage with her at Lincoln Center and her presence, I'll just never forget it. And her elegance and her, she was just so lovely and so kind to me and just really, that's a moment I'll never forget. Absolutely. Wow. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Cynthia, for being on the show. I know you're busy. You have a lot going on. But this conversation means so much to us. So thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. Good luck with everything. Can't wait to hear. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me for this week of A Fashion Moment. If you like what you hear, we'd love for you to join our community of listeners and spread the word about the show. We also want to hear from you. Share your favorite fashion moments and dream guests with us by sending an audio clip or email to a fashion moment podcast at gmail.com. Or you can tag us on Instagram at a fashion moment and you could be featured on next week's episode. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review and let us know what you think. Until then, see you next time for another fashion moment. 
podcast production by Rebecca Rashid and John Taylor Williams. Digital media production by Megan Porras. This recording carries a Creative Commons 4.0 international license. Thanks to Patrick Patrickios for their song, Hot Coffee.